Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Mark, chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that you speak to us through it. God, we realize that we would not know what is acceptable and unacceptable to you, except that we would have your word. And so, God, we ask you now that you would bless this time together, that you would fill each person's heart here today with hope. That, God, that you will be faithful and you will see us through this life in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's not anything I believe that all of us need more than hope in our life. And hope is that we see through faith what God will eventually do in our lives. Now, a lot of us, we look at our lives right now as maybe like broken things. And and God has a way of healing and restoring and repairing all those things that are broken. I don't suppose that, well, there's not one person in this room that in one way or another haven't had broken dreams or aspirations or visions, things you want to see happen in your life. And it always seems that there is something there to stop or prevent your heart from really going and finding its peace in this world. Now, chapter 14. And we found that one of the key ingredients when pressure comes upon us to stop us from doing what God has called us to do, prayer is the key. We remember that Jesus went up and the Bible says and tells us that Jesus' soul was exceedingly grieved because of all the things that he was about to go through. But he went through it for one reason and that was because he loved you and me. We don't deserve God's love. There's nothing that God ever saw in me or you that said, oh, you know, they're such a cute little kid. I'm going to love that person. God loved us not based upon anything that we did But because he loved humanity, friends, for God so loved the world. You know, people ask ask me oftentimes, they said, well, since we're all predestinated, that means God's predestinated people to go to hell and some to go to heaven. Well, no, friends, that may be from God's perspective, but not from ours. Just because God knows all the choices that you make in your life doesn't prevent you from making those choices in your life. And we all know that we live, you might say, in a legacy. We're leaving a legacy for somebody else. And those choices that we make in our life determine our lifestyle. And so if you continue to make wrong choices in life, it's going to lead you to the wrong life that you want to live. And that then will destroy the hope of ever seeing what you would like to see in your life happen. Now listen, the Bible says when our desires become the same as God's desires for us, Jesus said, you can ask whatever you want in my name and that I will do for you. People read that sometimes with a very greedy or selfish heart. And they go, aha, I can win one and have whatever I want. No, it's when your desires line up to God's desires. Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, the reason why that's important is this. Nobody really would want to go to the cross and die for the sins of humanity. But what put Jesus there was not the nails, but it was love that put Jesus on that cross. And as we look at this today, you find that 
in endeavoring for Jesus to do what he wanted to do, there is always that, you might say, force to cause somebody to react out of fear. You know, somebody asked the question one time, well, if, if um, Jesus knew that Judas betrayed him, and Jesus knew that in just a little bit while Jesus was in the Garden of, of Gethsemane praying on the Mount of Olives, if he knew that they were going to come and arrest him and crucify him, why didn't he run away? You know what, friends? I think for most of us, that's probably what we would have done. If you knew somebody in a few hours ago is going to come and grab you and hammer big rusty spikes through your hands and through your feet, the normal response would be to run. But you see, Jesus did not run because he knew that if he was to leave, the hope of all of us would be lost forever. You see, there is no hope apart from Christ, friends. When you drive by the cemetery and you look out there, you know, cemeteries don't have the sting for a Christian that they would if you were not a Christian. You see, we have hope for life beyond the grave. But the people in the world that do not know Christ, they believe when you're dead, you're dead. Or they believe that somehow their good works in some way are going to offset the evil things that they've done. But the Bible tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In other words, you can't be forgiven unless somebody has died in your place. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus praying for courage, praying for the will of his Father. He said, Father, if there's any other way that mankind can be saved, let this cup pass from me. Now, that tells me a lot because it tells me, first of all, that if just being a really good person could get you into heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to go through the cup, which was to die on the cross. A lot of people think that if I'm just a really good person, I'll make it somehow. I really don't need God. I don't need all that religious mumbo-jumbo stuff. All I need to do is just be a good person. Well, the problem is we run into then the definition of the word good. What is good? Does good mean you're better than the person lives next door? But how do you stack up next to God? That's the ultimate question. And so Jesus came so that we could go to heaven, not based upon our performance of us, you might say, trying to be good, but upon Jesus' sinless perfection in Him being good for us for eternity. The reason why any one of us get to go to heaven, friends, is not because you're good. The reason we get to go to heaven is because Jesus died on the cross for us. And because His righteousness allows us to go. Never forget that. Because, you know, the devil likes to come along and say, You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You know what? I heard a girl one time I heard say this. She said, I'm not worthy and I don't care. It's true. You see, we're not worthy. We're never going to be worthy. Does that mean we don't try in some way to emulate a life that reflects the love of Christ? No way. We want to have people see us, see Jesus. They want to see us as giving, loving, caring people. But oftentimes we understand that our lifestyle much differs from that of Christ. That's where forgiveness comes in. And that's where we say, Lord, help me be more like you. Help me Show me, teach me how to be a person that really loves. What we find here in chapter 15 especially is the greatest example of love in the Bible and the greatest, you might say, infusion of hope than any of us could ever have in our lives because we need hope. Somebody said one time you can live about three days without water and you can live a couple of days without food, but you won't last an hour without hope. You need hope in your life. Well, let's look at chapter 15. Now, they had come and taken Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
They came out at night with clubs as if Jesus was some common thug. And we remember that they hauled Jesus away. And so immediately in the morning, the chief priests held consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Now what's really interesting here, friends, is that Jesus was bound so you could be free. Remember, your freedom in Christ cost somebody something. In fact, whenever you hear the term, well, it's free, listen, free is not free. Free always costs somebody else something. Whether it's a free lunch or whatever, free always costs somebody else something. But because Jesus loved us, he gave it to us. Friends, I love that. I think it's neat because it tells me, first of all, I didn't do anything for Jesus to do what he did for me. He was bound. Now, we remember that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. And the reason why is he knew that if he did not go through with this particular critical point in man's history, all of mankind could be lost. People have asked me sometimes, they said, well, how is it that, that, that one man named Adam could sell all of mankind into slavery, into the old sin nature? The same way that one man named Jesus could redeem all of mankind out of it. You see, it's a serious thing. This this breach between us and God is, is, is serious. It's where the communication lines have been broken. Do you see that in your newspapers today? Can you see how people not listening to God drift farther and farther away from the principles in which we all know are right in our lives? You can see that America today even has trouble defining what a family is. We don't even know really what's right from wrong. You can commit some minor offense like not paying your parking ticket. They'll put you in jail for that. You can murder somebody and be out on the street before the ink's dry on the police report. And we see that. We go, what is wrong? Friends, by the way, I don't think when the Antichrist comes on the world scene, I don't think he's going to come on the world scene as some wide-eyed, crazy, cross-eyed, hysterical kind of idiot. I believe he's going to come on the world scene reinitiating law and order, which people down inside go, finally, somebody has got the understanding of how to straighten the problems out. The Bible says the whole world wanders after this guy, says, who is able to make war with the beast? But it's interesting that the Antichrist is a shortcut to Jesus Christ, who is really the one that will straighten everything out. You see, people want, oftentimes, churches to do what their homes won't do. They they want their kids to come to Sunday school and learn about Jesus. But when the kids come home, the Christian parents won't even read their kids a Bible story. They want the schools to teach their kids morality because there's no morality at home. And we see the double standard. You see, the world has one perception. And, they, and, and the world has a way of addressing that. I believe it's going to be through the Antichrist with these answers. But you know what? Jesus came to give us hope for our lives today and to correct these things in our lives so that we won't have to be looking for something else outside. We'll be looking to him. Remember, Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. And so they wasted no time in binding Jesus to get him delivered to Pilate. Because the reason they had to do that was because Pilate, the representative of the Roman government, was the only one that could give Jesus Christ the death decree which they wanted so bad. Notice here, interestingly enough, it says, 
consultation with the elders, the scribes, and the whole council. These people heretofore were all enemies of one another. The scribes couldn't stand, or the Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. But when they had one common enemy named Jesus Christ, they all united together for his destruction. Friends, you'll find this over and over again. Hatred makes the strangest bedfellows. And you'll find oftentimes in life that people that may be at your work that plot against you. And friends, I know they do. When you work in the world, a lot of times when you go in there and you're just doing your job, you're you're loving Jesus and and, uh, you bring your Bible or something, you read it on your coffee break and they all get a vendetta to to destroy you. They say mean, terrible things about you and and stuff. Listen, if, if you're not being persecuted in, for your faith in some way, probably you need to examine your testimony. Because the devil does not waste time on people of non-effect. If you're saying, Mike, I've lost jobs, I, I had my husband leave me, or I had my wife leave me, or, or whatever, because I make a stand for Christ, all I can tell you is, right on. You're going to go through it. Do you know why Jesus said it isn't that they hate you? It's they hate me in you. Jesus said, the servant's not greater than the master. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And and so don't be surprised, and I always am, when people say evil, mean things about you. Hey, it's me. I'm a nice guy. Oh, no. They they, they want to destroy you. And and I really oftentimes wonder why. And, you know, when you start getting into the spiritual world, it's a strange thing. Because usually you'll never find really any substance for what they do. There's just a hatred deep down in their soul against you. And they, they they will do and say anything to try to hurt you. And I think this is one of the most frustrating things for Christians to go through because we don't know why. Here is a group of people... In this consultation together, plotting Jesus' death, all with rolls of scripture underneath their arms, trying to figure out how to kill somebody that did nothing more than go around and heal people and restore their sight and feed them loaves and fishes and all these things. And for all of Jesus' heart and love, the religious leaders of the day wanted to kill him. Well, friends, I got to tell you, I don't think it's a whole lot different if you study church history. All the way down through church history, it's never changed. I've shared this before, but you get the book as an example, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an interesting book of how the early church fathers died. It covers many of the disciples' death, as well as many of uh, the other Polycarp and some of the other uh, first and second generation churches that were there and how they died. But one of the things you'll never find in Fox's Book of Martyrs is how the Pharisees died. It's because they didn't. They're still here. Now, they led him and delivered him to Pilate. So when he, then he was in the presence of Pilate, verse 2, it says, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, he said to him, it is as you say. Jesus here declares to the Roman government's authority that he in fact was the king of the Jews. Now friends, this is important because... Here he makes a legal declaration of who he was to the known government of the world. 
Now, Herod, we remember, who was a lesser, he did not answer a word. But to Pilate, he did. And this is the only words that we find Jesus speaking to any of them in Jesus' accusation period from the scribes and the Pharisees and all, as they came to him. When Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, yes, in fact, I am, is what he said. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. A lot of people wonder why Jesus didn't say anything in return. Well, have you ever seen people who have their mind made up? It doesn't matter what you say. Now, if you don't believe me, next time you get pulled over by a police officer, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. And I believe Jesus, rather than getting into a yelling match with these people, he just didn't answer them a word. He realized that their hearts were hardened. This was well schemed and thought out. We remember that week before Passover that for four days they would examine the lambs that were set aside to find spot or blemish so in When they were found to be clean, they could then be offered up as a sacrifice. And while on one side of the city of Jerusalem, they were examining all these lambs for spot or blemish to be offered up at Passover, another group of scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees were examining Jesus Christ in some way to find some spot in Him. Trying to ask Him questions, should we pay taxes or not? Or they would ask Him about concerning the Scriptures to see if He would violate the written word of God. And he wouldn't do it. And so when Jesus was found to be spotless, their only other alternative was then to kill him. Well, he answered him nothing. Verse 4, Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? I imagine, friends, there was a whole load of things. In fact, that some of the other Gospels record some of the things that Jesus was uh, accused of. They, they basically tried to accuse him of being a terrorist. We heard him say he was going to tear the temple down. Jesus was speaking of himself. And he said, you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. He was speaking of himself. And it's interesting how people will twist your words, or they'll take just bits and fragments of your words, and try in some way to fool people, to make them think you're something that you're not. I've shared this before, but I remember... There was somebody that called me on the phone. This was probably five, six years ago. And they called me on the phone. And they said, "Um, Mike, and they just started in on this poor sister in our fellowship. And I just said, you know, I said, she's got a lot of issues, a lot of problems right now in in her life. She doesn't need your criticism. She just needs your love. And so you need to be praying for her. So we hung up. That girl called this other girl and said, Pastor Mike said, you got a lot of problems. true. And thank God this woman was a little more savvy than a gossip. And she called me up and she said, Mike, this is what this person just said. And I said, let me tell you what I said. And I explained to her how this person was railing on you and how I explained to her in Matthew 18, the Bible says, if you got a matter against somebody, you go to them privately, not with the, with the attitude of destroying them saying, aha, I'm going to accuse you of this just so I can trap you. But the idea of going to them privately is how can I restore you? How can I help you? How can I heal you? How can I become a mediator in this to, to bless you and to, and to shield you from the storm? And when I explained to her what the person had said, she was very heartbroken, not because a person had gossiped about her, 
but because she was trying in some way to misrepresent other people. I I find that all the time. And by the way, friends, that's what Matthew 18 tells us. Jesus is speaking, and he says, if you see somebody overtaken in a fault, and in other places in the scripture it says, first considering yourself, make sure that you're faultless, which pretty much eliminates anybody going to anybody. But anyway, that's beside the point. But if you see somebody really doing something that really bothers you, you go to them and just say, hey, look, I, I see there's an issue in your life here. I'm not here as a critic or as somebody that's trying to destroy you. I'm here trying to say, how may I help you? How can I, how can I be an encouragement to you? Do you know what, friends, how many people would not have given up and backslid in Christ if people would have done that rather than chop them to pieces? You know, God's called us to love. You know, I was talking to a friend. I, I've shared this before, but I was talking to a friend not very long ago. He'd been a lifelong friend. His um, name is Danny. Some of you know him. And um, uh, we were talking. I've known him since I was in 10th grade. I met him in church, and he's just been a lifelong friend. And I want to just encourage anybody here that's uh, in high school, it is possible to have friends that you will meet in this church for your whole life. And I think that's a great thing. And, you know, we were talking, we were just talking about a lot of different things. And, you know, he just said, you know what, Mike, he says, unfortunately today, there's just not a lot of love in the church. And I said, I know, that's so sad. And Jesus spoke, I believe, of these days, saying people will wax worse and worse. And all I want to say here today, with hope in Christ Jesus, I pray you'll get better and better and more in love with Christ and one another. Because, friends, I'll tell you, you're going to need each other. We might not need each other right now. Things are pretty good. But you know what? We don't know what the economy is going to do. Have you ever thought, there's a couple programs that have, I I don't know how many people saw this. There's just things that amaze me, things that make me laugh. On the Weather Channel, they had this kind of wild-eyed looking guy in the streets of New York, and he had a Bible in his hand, he goes, put down your double lattes, (laughs) the end is near. I don't know why that, I thought that was funny, but I did. Um... But anyway, this this program goes through and it shows what could happen with earthquakes or hurricanes or tidal waves or whatever. And, And you realize, as you look at our world, how fragile everything is in our society, it doesn't take much to start real problems. You know, you look back at at, at what history has taught us in the past, and, and what I find is when things go really crazy, you know what really becomes valuable? Is your relationships and your friendships with one another in Christ Jesus. And and I really want to encourage you to to develop those relationships now and and let the Lord bless you and heal you. you And the thing is, you you know, if you want to be a fault finder, I'll tell you something, you can find stuff wrong with people all day long. And you you can find stuff wrong with you. But you know, for this reason, Christ died. And I just want to encourage you to, to, once again, when you see people in their fallibility, in their troubles and problems, you know, God, you say, but Mike, they all come to me with their problems. All I can tell you is this. God must really love you. Because he's using you as an example and a help and a blessing to those people who can't help themselves. You see, Jesus here, we find from now on in this story that we're reading this morning, what Jesus went through to love us. People say, I'm tired of loving people. They're just sniveling people. I know. And you know who the chief sniveler is? Me. Have you ever noticed that? How we can snivel about stuff? Have you ever noticed how we can 
complain with silver spoons in our mouths. I mean, you know, we got enough to eat, but everything ain't perfect, so therefore I'm mad. God loves us. And you know, when we refocus our vision, and I, I think sometimes Sunday morning during the worship service, I think sometimes in the reading of the Word, I think sometimes when we're, when we're eating food off of, off, of our, off our friend's plate, I think all these things begin to remind us once again to focus outside of our own lives on others. You see, one of the things you'll find in a person that's not born again, who's it all about? It's all about them. But you know when you become a Christian, it's about Jesus and the Lord causes our focus to change. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226 and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time for more It's Time. It's time.